which differs from meditation in quite precise ways. The contemplation is always directed towards insight. Whereas if you're trying to stay on the breath and not think, that's directed towards calm. When you label the thought, that's directed towards insight. Contemplation is always geared towards insight. However, if one gets a bit of insight, one can get quite calm from it. But as one sees things differently and understands them differently as the world does, nothing is worth getting excited about, worried about, or even thinking about anymore. So, contemplation is one of the important aspects of this practice. And in Pali, it's called Vinisomaniskara, which means wise consideration. <coughs> Naturally, it's a thought process, but different from the usual kind where the mind goes from the first thought to the next, to the next, to the next and winds up at an entirely different idea than it started out with. Contemplation takes one subject which is universally true and relates that to one's own individual understanding of oneself. What we're going to do now are called the five daily recollections. And the Buddha said that these five things should be recollected by everyone every day. They are laws of nature which we prefer either to forget or pretend they don't exist. Since they are laws of nature, they happen to everyone. And when they do, we think it's a tragedy. In reality, they are laws of nature. And had we practiced the Buddha's teaching, we wouldn't be at all surprised and we wouldn't think that it is something that has to either stop immediately or not happen to us. It should happen to others, but not to us. And the Buddha's teaching is pragmatic and realistic, but it goes into the depth of what a human being is. And we can't help but find out if we practice. As I said yesterday, meditation does not stand alone. We'll never get what we're looking for in meditation as long as we want to get something. We've got to get rid of what we're carrying around. All our misconceptions and the absurd wishes, hopes, 
and desires. When we get rid of those, then something else happens. As long as we're full, there's no room for anything. Contemplation helps us to get rid of some of our misconceptions, which logically do not exist within us, but feelingly they do. I'm going to say the recollection. I'd like you to repeat it after me. And after that, I will say something about it, which is designed to help with the contemplation. If you know something better, please use it. I'm only making suggestions. All I can tell you is what the Buddha said and suggest to you how to use that. If you know how to use that particular direction of the Buddha in a different way which is more applicable to your own understanding, by all means, do it. Whatever works is right. All the words are quite common and I believe that today also the word karma is common. It certainly doesn't mean fate. It means what we intend, our own intentions. So as we come to that particular recollection, we will also have an explanation of that. Basically, these are universal truths and therefore apply to every single human being. And what we need to do with them is to first see, is it universally true? Or could I wiggle out of that one? And then, if we know we can't wiggle out, then how do I relate to it? What does it mean for me? All of us always appear to ourselves as if we were the center of the universe. There's nothing much we can do about that until we lose our ego illusion. So what's true for the universe is true for us. If we find that so, then we need to know how to deal with it. How do we deal with these universal truths? Other than trying to forget them or pretend that we are exempt. And that is a way of, one of the many ways of gaining insight. The word insight has a particular meaning in the Buddha's explanations, and I will get to that at a later time. It's particular meaning. In order to start, please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments.
And now please repeat after me. I'm of the nature to decay. I have not got beyond decay. All right, now it's time to investigate this statement and see whether it's true. And if it is true, whether you have noticed it already in yourself. And if you have, how do you react to it? Do you think it's a pity, it's a shame, or has it given insight into the constant change and utter impermanence of what we are? Or is it something that you'd rather not think about? Have a look at your own personal decay as it appears in the body. of the nature to be diseased I have not got beyond disease again it is necessary to inquire whether this is true whether there are ease dis-ease unease in the body at times whether there has been in the past, whether there is any now, and whether we can expect any. And particularly important, we need to inquire whether we actually want that. And since it's likely that we don't, what does that tell us about our ownership of the body? And also, what does it tell us about the desirability of a body?
time of the nature to die, I have not got beyond death. Obviously, there's no need to investigate whether that's true. But what is necessary to investigate is whether one actually keeps that knowledge in mind and lives with it because it changes one's whole approach. And another thing, whether one is ready because it may come at any moment. And if one is not ready, why not? All that is mine, dear and delightful, will change and vanish. Here it's necessary to investigate whether that has been true in the past of people, material possessions, experiences, situations, feelings that have been dear and delightful, whether they have changed or completely vanished, no longer available, completely out of one's life, or quite different. And if that is so, what about those things that we find dear and delightful now? and which we consider mine. What do we feel? 
were they to change and or vanish. my karma. <clears throat> this needs to be considered as taking full responsibility for everything that happens in one's life, since the only thing that we can actually truly own are the results of our own intentions, whether we know it or not. The results are ours, and there's nobody out there whom we can make responsible. So to be the owner of one's karma means that we take responsibility on our own shoulders for whatever it is that's happening in our lives. I am heir to my karma. I am heir to my karma. 
Here we need to consider that if we would like to have a valuable inheritance, one which will make our lives easy and pleasant, we have to manufacture that inheritance ourselves. Because we inherit what we ourselves have put into motion. I am related to my karma. We need to look at it this way, that this is the closest relationship we will ever have, and therefore we need to come to proper terms with that relationship. We are our karma. Whatever it is that we are today has been produced by the karma we have made. That relationship is the most important one that we can ever have. Born of my karma. This has two connotations, and both are important. And the first one is that we get born into the situation which is suitable for the karma we have made. In other words, we choose it. And the other connotation of having been born by one's karma means that we have made sufficiently good karma to be a human being. And being born 
is a result of making karma. So we are here for a reason. And the situation we are in is one which is the effect of our own causes that we have put into motion. supported by my karma. A karma we have made is our life support in all manners and forms of life. Even just being alive is a result of the karma we have made. Health or sickness, wealth or poverty, good friends or no friends, all of these are supporting conditions for our lives which we ourselves have brought about.
whatever karma I shall do, whether good or evil, that I shall inherit. That takes us to the present moment. And if we have considered and reflected upon karma in the appropriate way, we will realize that good karma making is the only support system that we can ever get for a good and wholesome and beneficial life. So from this, a determination can arise.
have the determination to keep that going because if we have that kind of understanding through the contemplation our loving kindness meditation will flourish and our inner life as far as our heart connection is concerned will be easier much easier and eventually it will be habitual so that nothing untoward can ever happen again within the heart so the contemplation is equally as important as the meditation because it leads us into understanding the meditation leads us into feeling both have to be engaged heart and mind they are the two parts of us that will work together and that we purify together so that there is that strong flow which is the understood experience in order to start please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments Now please repeat after me. May I be free from enmity. Now we need to investigate within ourselves whether we sometimes have feelings of enmity, feelings of dislike, of rejection, of resistance, feelings of hate fury even and if we do do they actually <coughs> contribute to our own well-being do they contribute to the well-being of others are they something that we find desirable and if not how can we substitute how can we change that what could be our attitude towards those things which we dislike would we benefit from a changed attitude would we feel more at ease
May I be free from hurtfulness. If we consider this rationally, we certainly do not wish to be hurtful. But we could also investigate whether we have in the past been hurtful. Hurtful through speech or action which have resulted from our thoughts. When we have been hurtful, have we ourselves also felt hurt? What was the outcome? Would we prefer not to be hurtful? The opposite of hurtful is harmless. How can we be harmless in all our thought, speech, and action.
May I be free from troubles of mind and body. Here we need to investigate whether there are any troubles and if so, what's the best way to get rid of the troubles of the mind? Does it mean getting what we want or does it mean getting rid of the wanting? And the troubles of the body, how do we deal with them best? What is our best attitude? Is it resistance and rejection of worry and fear? Or acceptance and understanding that the body can never be perfect? May I be able to protect my own happiness? May I be able to protect my own happiness? Here it is very important to investigate what constitutes my own happiness. What is it really that provides that inner feeling of joy and happiness which is not dependent upon outer conditions. Mm 
And then, when I know what my own happiness is, how do I protect it? And from what do I have to protect it? May all beings be free from enmity. Now that we have looked at ourselves and seen that it is possible to remove enmity from our hearts and that we would be much happier and more at ease without it we wish that for all others and if there is any clear understanding on how to do it we may wish to share that with others all that we have gained in understanding in insight may be also helpful to others and our compassion may be aroused to share it but first we have to know it ourselves if we don't know the way yet we may just wish it for others
may all beings be free from hurtfulness. Again, here's the same thing, that what we find in ourselves to be of great benefit to our happiness, that we wish for others. And if we can share any way of doing just that, our compassion will compel us to share it. But at least we can wish it for others. And our thought direction can be that we want to give others the same benefit that we have already within us. May all beings be free from troubles of mind and body. Obviously, it will never be in our power to make that come true. But the loving and compassionate thoughts and feelings which we can arouse in ourselves can go in that direction we can recognize the fact that we ourselves have troubles and how difficult it is to live with them. And therefore, we recognize also the fact that others have similar troubles and find life also difficult. Therefore, our love and compassion for them is much easier to arouse. And we see that they too are suffering in the same way we do and that there's no difference between us that it's all one and the same and then we can feel connected we can have a heart connection with whoever there is and our anger is much abating because of that
may all beings be able to protect their own happiness. This does not arouse indifference in us, but it arouses our joy with others when they have joy, that we do not judge or discriminate between that which we think is happiness producing and which what others think is happiness producing. When there's happiness, we rejoice with the other person. It is our way, then, of showing our love and compassion, our togetherness and connectedness. We can practice it that way. And it will also prevent us from disturbing anyone's happiness. We will recognize the great value that happiness has in a human life. And we wish for others to be able to protect that. 